Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week seven gave us a much clearer picture into which teams have true championship aspirations in the Sun Belt this year. But Caden, it left us wondering about a few of the East potential contenders. Coastal Carolina defeated App State for the first time in Boone on Tuesday night. James Madison remains undefeated after a statement victory over Georgia Southern. Georgia State put together an eyebrow-raising showing of their own against Marshall. Troy continued to prove that their defense is as good as ever in a record day in West Point, New York, while Texas State survived a scare to ULM team that's proven to not be an easy out this year. Today on episode 130 of the show, it's time for our Week 7 recap. We'll break down the biggest moments from the past week of Sunbelt football and look at some of the key storylines ahead of the upcoming Week 8. Caden, this was another huge weekend of Sunbelt football play. We saw some teams make statements. We saw some other teams slip a little bit. What were your overall thoughts? I think it was just another quality weekend in the conference, Noah, just really showing off the quality of teams, the quality of quarterbacks, the quality of defenses. I think this conference just week after week continues to impress me. It's clear that in the East, it's extremely competitive, maybe the most competitive division in all of college football. I think anyone can be anyone in that division, and that was proven this weekend. And some teams in the West as well are just looking dangerous, showing some different things that we haven't seen this season. So just really impressed with the conference yet again on a week where we, maybe we didn't have as many games as you'd imagine, but still very, very impressed with a lot of what I saw from these programs. Hey, Roddy Jones, the ESPN analyst on the Georgia State Marshall game uh, on Saturday night, he ended the night by saying this is the premier group of five conference. I feel like the numbers back that up. Well, like we do every Monday, we'll start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week seven. Then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at each of the matchups from this weekend. Starting off on Tuesday night, App State hosted Coastal Carolina in Boone, North Carolina. The Mountaineers, five-and-a-half-point favorite. Caden, this one was a nail-biter. Coastal Carolina jumps out to an early 14-0 lead with 7.22 to go in that first quarter. But App State scores 17 of the next 20 points to tie it at 17 with 6.18 left in the third quarter. Grayson McCall has a career day, finishing with a career-high 373 yards in two touchdowns in the win. Pinckney and Tucker each had 100-plus yard games, and Kate Hensley hits the walk-off 24-yarder to give Coastal Carolina their first ever win in Boone, North Carolina. The Mountaineers falling to 3-3. Three and three. Coastal Carolina improving to 3-3 three and three with the win. James Madison, Georgia Southern in Harrisonburg, Virginia. This was a game that I was at and really enjoyed my time in Harrisonburg. I'll get to that more in a moment, but the Dukes, this was a dominant performance. They win it 41-13. to They led 20-6 to at the half. They had two first-half field goals by Georgia Southern. That was all the scoring the Eagles had. They were able to widen the lead to 41-6 to heading into the fourth quarter. JMU's defense had three sacks, seven TFLs to go along with three interceptions. Caden, I felt like this was Jordan McLeod's most complete game of the year. Kalon Black finished with a career-high three touchdowns, including two receiving touchdowns. JMU remains undefeated. They snap an eight-game losing streak to Georgia Southern. The Dukes sitting at number 26 in the country now after the AP poll came out on Sunday. Georgia Southern, a tough loss. They fall to 4-2. and two. Army versus Troy in West Point, New York. Troy came in a four-and-a-half-point favorites, and they walked away a 19-point winner to improve to 5-2 and two on the year. This was a defensive slugfest. Troy goes on to hand Army their first home shutout in over 20 years. Troy led for the entire game. 
They hold Army to 255 yards of offense. It was actually the sixth time this year that they've held opponents under 300 yards of offense on the year. Kamani Vidal runs for 116 yards. He's now 49 away from 1,000. He'll probably get that in two weeks. The defense forces four turnovers. And, Caden, they've now given up just 10 combined points in their last three games. Troy now 5-2 and two on the season. Georgia State Marshall in Atlanta. Georgia State putting together a statement victory. They win 41-24 to over the Thundering Herd. They led for almost 58 minutes of this game. You hold a 28-17 to lead at the half, but uh, they scored 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter to seal this win. Darren Granger, big performance, 296 yards of offense, three touchdowns. He set the school record for career touchdowns going over 60 in this game. Marcus Carroll, 159 yards, leading a unit that had 240 yards on the ground. Ali had three touchdowns for Marshall, and in the end, it was just Georgia State too much for the Thundering Herd. They're off to their best start at 5-1. and one. Marshall falls to 4-2. and two. Caden, last game of the night, Texas State-ULM. This one was wild in San Marcos. Texas State, a 16-point favorite. We thought that they were going to put up huge offensive numbers, give ULM a ton of credit. Texas State has to come from behind. They win it 21-20. to 20. This was a defensive battle. Texas State led 9-7 at the half. They got three first-half field goals from Mason Shipley. ULM then would score 13 unanswered points, and then you had that 76-yard pick six uh, by Derek McCormick. They led 20-9 with 8.57 to go, but it was Joey Hobart and TJ Finley who teamed up for two touchdowns in the final four minutes and 16 seconds to give Texas State the lead. The defense holds ULM under 300 yards, and this is Texas State's they're off to a five-win start for the first time since 2015. Big weekend all the way around. After beating Georgia Southern, James Madison sitting at 6-0 and remains the only undefeated team in the Sun Belt entering Week 8. They're one of 11 teams nationally, three at the G5 level, Air Force and Liberty, the other two. With Troy's win over Army, the Sun Belt, Caden, this was impressive to me. They're now 33-17, and a 660 winning percentage in non-conference games this year. When you look at it, a great stat on Twitter, the Mountain West is the only other G5 conference that has a 500 record. They're at 500. The other three below 500 this year. And another big note this weekend, Troy, Texas State, and Georgia State all moved within a win of bowl eligibility with their wins on Saturday. So just a great weekend all the way around, Caden. But let's jump in and talk about the, the big matchup on Sunday. This was a game, or Saturday rather, this is a game that I was at, James Madison, Georgia Southern. JMU wins at 41-13. to They snap an eight-game losing streak dating back to 1986. They avenged that 45-38 loss to Georgia Southern last year. And this was a massive performance for James Madison. They never trailed in this game. They held Georgia Southern without a touchdown until the final 26 seconds of this game. Kalon Black and Jordan McLeod each had three touchdowns. And, Caden, before we get into this matchup, I just wanted to shout out the fact that I had such a great experience at James Madison this weekend. Just so many great people up there. Want to say a special thank you to the Sports Information Department, Kevin, Chris, John, Katie, and Brett for just making, you know, it's such a great experience. The JMU Sound Off crew of Taylor, John, and Steve for making me feel welcome. And, Caden, it was a lot of fun. I got to talk to a lot of our longtime listeners. The facilities were awesome. I even got to throw a streamer. I got hit in the face with one as well. This was probably one of the best college football experiences I've had yet. So just want to give a shout out to uh, James Madison University. Caden, as we talk about this matchup, big storyline in this game was the offense for the Dukes. They had their way with Georgia Southern. 
They finished with 41 points. It was the second most points this year, only to that Utah State victory. Jordan McLeod had the most complete performance of his JMU career. They carried the momentum three, three quarters. I thought it was interesting. The players after the game talked about the halftime speech where Kurt Signetti basically told them that they had been a bunch of chokers over the last couple of years. They responded in a huge way. Surratt and Sproles were excellent. Kaden, can JMU maintain this level of offensive play the rest of the year? I definitely think they can. I think they're just now catching their rhythm as an offense. I think we had some discussions earlier in this season when their defense was kind of outshining their offense as they were still figuring things out with Jordan McLeod under center for this team getting thrown into that in the at the halftime of the second game, or the first game rather that they played in this year. But you talked about it. He had the most complete performance. He looks the most comfortable that he's ever looked. And I think he's really now found a good relationship with his offensive coordinator to where they're thinking on the same page. You can tell that his decision-making and his efficiency is just at an extremely high level, and he's playing just as good as some of the top quarterbacks now that we're seeing across this conference. That wasn't a discussion early in the season. Early in the season, we were talking about JMU's defense, how they've been carrying them and how their offense continue to grow and get better. But now, if he puts together a couple performances like this, we're going to see Jordan McLeod now up there with some of the top quarterbacks that we regard in this league but I think when you look at the run game it's always there for this team each running back in this game ripped off a 20 plus yard run in their own right the passing game was sharp and as methodical as ever they do a great job of just creating plays off of the run game in the pass game and really just creating clear pictures from a scheme standpoint where McLeod can throw the ball very confidently he's obviously going to give that element of his legs there as well and I think it's very particular how they're getting the balls to their playmakers lately. You saw that with Elijah Surratt having a fantastic and big game in this one. We saw that the week prior against South Alabama, rather two weeks before the bye week, with Zach Horton playing a fantastic game. They're doing a really good job of picking which weapons they want to use, using them efficiently in matchups they like. And they're also getting their running backs involved in the past game, too. We saw Tyson Lawton getting involved in the past game. We saw Kalen Black scoring two touchdowns from the backfield. That's a quarterback's best friend if you can throw those easy passes to running backs and let them score. So to me, this is the probably the most well-oiled machine-esque that this offense has looked. And I think if you pair that with this defense now, I mean, this team's undefeated. They haven't really shown many flaws. And now the, the few flaws they had as an offense are now starting to kind of get erased. Very scary second half of the team season, I think, for this James Madison squad, especially if their offense and their quarterback is playing with this much confidence and efficiency. Yeah, and you know, you talk about that JMU defense. You get Jalen Walker back for this game from injury. Taurus Jones, who I actually had a chance to talk to after the game and found out he's a listener of the Frary and Smith podcast. But, Kaden, when you look at this defense, we've spent so much time talking about the front seven, that defensive line. But a lot of people have not had a lot of rosy things to say about JMU's secondary play this year. I know we've pointed it out at times. They've been the worst in the conference in the passing game. But in this game, Caden, they responded to all of that criticism. Nine pass breakups. They were responsible for two interceptions. There was actually three total in this game. You saw that James Carpenter big man interception, almost ran it back for uh, a touchdown. Chauncey Logan had a huge interception after giving up the game-winning touchdown in his direction last year to Georgia Southern. D'Angelo Pons continued to be excellent. Caden, this unit, it really stepped up against one of the nation's most prolific offenses, and that's got to be scary for the rest of the league. It definitely is, and they did exactly what they just had to do in this game. They didn't play too much over their heads. They didn't do too much as far as their scheme. They did exactly what they needed to do because they know they have a great defensive line in front of them. We know that defensive line is the headliner in this game and in just for this season in general with this team. They had three sacks on the day. They were keeping Davis Brin uncomfortable throughout the contest, seven TFLs per usual for them. They had a fine day up there, but I think they had an even better day in the secondary when you mentioned those nine pass breakups. They stayed over the top, and they played that perfect bend on break style of 
um, defense that you need to play against the offense like this that throws the ball so much. You mentioned Chauncey Logan. He led the team in tackles in this game. That usually means your cornerback is tackling a lot of people that have the ball, but that's okay when you're playing Georgia Southern as long as they're not getting in the end zone. I mean, Caleb Hood ends this game with 10 receptions, but he doesn't get to the end zone. You have to play that kind of style where you're over the top. You can only drop so many people on defense when you play a team like Georgia Southern because it gives the quarterback too much time to operate and let the play break and let guys get open. But when you can pair great over-the-top play that limits explosiveness in your secondary and you have the defensive front that this group has, you're going to eventually see that front get back there and the quarterback's not going to be able to hold the ball forever. So I think it's just huge looking at kind of how this secondary can play complementary ball now with the defensive front they have up front. I think it's going to be big to this team moving forward if they play some teams that maybe try to have their way with James Madison's defense through the air. But I think the reason they were able to play this game clearly was just the cohesiveness of the D-line in the secondary. And the biggest product of that was when you see James Carpenter getting involved in some of the secondary action, getting that interception like you mentioned and almost putting in the end zone. So shout out to him for making a miraculous play and just shout out for this entire defense really playing probably their most cohesively best performance when you look at the secondary all the way down to their defensive line in this one. Kane, there was a funny moment in the postgame press conference that I that I sat in on. Chauncey Logan, it was actually his first ever media appearance, and I asked him a question about how much better that defensive line helps the, the secondary, and he says, I love not having to guard their wide receiver for seven seconds, and you clearly can see that in this contest. Caden, if you're Georgia Southern, though, um, is this cause for concern off of this loss, or is JMU just better than everyone right now? Do you take a lot of stock in the losses to Wisconsin and JMU for Georgia Southern right now? Yeah, I'm here to kind of ease the minds of the Georgia Southern fans. They are still a great team. Your two losses are clearly outliers. And I think those clearly stand out in a certain way when you look at the schedule. Just look at the box scores and what those teams were able to do against a Georgia Southern offense in particular. And I think they're not going to really face a defensive personnel or really a team personnel the rest of the season that's going to be able to present the same problems that Wisconsin and James Madison was able to present. I mean, this team had 23 third and fourth down attempts combined in this game. 14 of them were converted. They threw the ball well. They just simply could not get into the end zone against one of the most disruptive defenses I've watched, not only in the Sun Bowl, but in the entire conference this year. They know their formula. They know what it takes to win. But I think that formula was just a bad matchup with Wisconsin and with James Madison in particular. They know that they have to protect the quarterback. The quarterback has to protect the ball. The defense has to get the ball back to the quarterback, and they have to score touchdowns. That's all this team needs to do. They know they need to do it. And James Madison and Wisconsin in particular just gave this team certain problems and headaches in those areas. I think moving forward, they could get better at that, just watching film and seeing how these two teams now have been able to kind of get the best of them. And maybe they can even improve in those areas. But I think even if they still do what they're doing right now, their offense is loaded, their defense seemed improved despite making James Madison look like the 49ers at times right now this year with Brock Purdy, a quarterback. But I still think that this says more about James Madison than the Eagles. And I think moving forward, Georgia Southern fans really shouldn't worry. One, because this team can't play in the conference championship. They're not getting in the way of their goals. And two, I think they just still have one of the most solid formulas as far as winning conference games in this conference and in this league. Yeah, Kane. I mean, honestly, if we're being honest, this game doesn't really affect Georgia Southern's ability to get into that championship game because as of right now, currently, uh, the Duke's ineligible. Kane, I had a very interesting conversation with Kyle Van Treese on the sideline about Georgia Southern's offensive line. We're going to have to get into that on Friday's episode, just maybe where things are a little bit different. So we'll save that for Friday. But James Madison, they're going to travel to Huntington, West Virginia, where they will face a 4-2 Marshall team coming off of a 41-24 loss to Georgia State on Saturday. That game on Thursday night on ESPN. Huge opportunity for both teams in front of a national television audience. Georgia Southern returns home. They're going to face ULM, who's 2-4, and four, coming off that 
loss to Texas State in Week 7 that we'll get to in a few moments. Georgia Southern going to look to rebound from Saturday's disappointing result. Caden, moving on to the game that took place on Tuesday night. We've been talking about wanting to hear your thoughts on this. The time has finally come. Coastal Carolina winning 27-24 to over them boys from Boone. Coastal Carolina earned their first win in Boone in program history. They did it in front of a raucous crowd of 34,252 fans. They outgained the Mountaineers by 153 yards and had 11 more minutes of possession in this game. Grayson McCall turned in the one of the best performances of his career. But, Kane, again, before we get to this matchup, this was another game that I got to attend this weekend. And just a quick thought on the fans. When you look at this App State program right now, they're the standard in the Sun Belt. They're, they are what everyone wants to attain to. You could even expand that to say the standard in the group of five when it comes to fan attendance. Nowhere else at the G5 level is a team bringing out 34,000 fans on a Tuesday night. I'm going to give them a lot of credit for being early, for staying for the whole game. Caden, this is a fan base you know that stays engaged the entire time. This App State fan support should be applauded. But, Caden, there's some things that are concerning you a little bit right now that you want to get into. Yeah, I want to start by saying, I mean, I, I love the App State fan base. I think we have the best fans in the, the nation, I think, when it comes to the group of five level, especially, and being able to have the experience like you had at the games, just game days on a weekday, being able to put that kind of crowd in front of a, a national audience is fantastic. But I just have to get this off my chest, Noah, before we talk about the game. I think following Tuesday's loss, like many App State fans, I was almost physically sick the way it ended. It was just a tough, heartbreaking loss. But some of the fan behavior I saw on social media just following the game absolutely disgusted me and just disappointed me as an App State fan. If you're going to be critical of the program as a whole, of Coach Clark, you can do that. He said to our team in the past, he'll take that. He's a grown man. He's making the big bucks. But if you took time out of your day following that game to tag or comment at a player individually, I just can't respect you the same way as a fan. Just from general trash talk to death threats, even one racist comment I saw under Milan. Tucker's Instagram that's since been deleted. It just sickened me. And no matter what end of the spectrum you fall under, if you're in that group, you're all in the same group of people. You're people that call yourself fans, but then you turn around into 18 and 22-year-olds from a post a week before the game. You take time out of your day to go out of your way and make it known that you want to demean that student athlete. You want them to see that. You want that to pop up on their screen. You want to have that kind of energy through the screen. And they're putting in more work into their craft on and off the field than you can ever imagine. So obviously, you can't control what people say and do on social media. These kids are making money now from NIL. I get that people have certain opinions about that. Player mental health is important. There's a ton of factors that play into all of this. But I just expect better personally from the App State fans. But at the end of the day, one, all fans across all sports, I promise you, especially at the college level, you're not going to be more critical of a player than they're critical of themselves. I remember the plays that I didn't make more than the plays I made. And then number two is just if you're going to go out of your way to comment under a player's picture and talk trash, you just don't deserve the title of a fan to me. I hope one day when you look back and you're older and you have more perspective, you realize how nonsensical and how uncool of a thing that is. So I just had to get that off my chest. No, I've just had it to hear at this point sometimes with some of the fan behavior I've seen. It's one of the parts of the game that stepping away from the game and now being in the position I'm in, it's just something that doesn't sit well with me all the time. And some of the stuff I saw directly targeted at App State players in particular just, just wasn't right and didn't sit well. So just wanted to get that out the way before we talk about this game for sure. Yeah, Kane, I appreciate you saying that because I think when you're around college athletics, the one thing fan bases, these players are looked at as gladiators and that they're out there for our entertainment. And that is just not the case. These are human beings that are playing a game that they love. I know you loved when you played. 
uh, putting in a lot of work. And I think that that needs to be recognized uh, as if they're human beings first. They're not athletes first. So, Caden, let's move on and talk about this game. You know, one of the things when we started this podcast, Caden, you love to give out flowers. So let's give out some flowers right here. Grayson McCall deserves a whole bouquet after this game. This looked like the old Grayson. He finished with a career-high 373 yards passing. This was what was crazy. He had completions of 31 yards, 32, 40, 47, 51, 63 in this game. They had 11 big plays in total. He constantly, Caden, shoulders the blame when this team loses. And I don't know about you, but I was happy to see him have some success uh, this is huge for him, and you could tell it meant a lot to him in that post-game press conference. Yeah, I mean, this was just absolutely night and day from his four-interception performance we saw the week prior against Georgia Southern. I mean, I think 373 yards in the air was a career high for him. Just the ability to do that on such a big stage on the road in a hostile environment is huge. And you mentioned it looks more like the old Grayson McCall, but it does, but it doesn't. This is a new Grayson McCall. This is the most comfortable we've seen him in this new scheme. We've seen him have some performances in the past in his old offensive scheme where maybe he hits a couple deep passes to his wideouts out wide, hits some hole shots down the sideline, shows some of that accuracy. But the deep ball accuracy we saw in this game was jarring. It was shocking. It was from the first drive to the very end of the game. And I think it's kind of what we're used to seeing as far as an efficiency standpoint, but he was doing it a whole nother level as far as what he was able to do. And you mentioned all those deep ball completions he was able to have in this game. And I think you look at that last pass he had on the second to last drive to Jamison Tucker, in particular, that was a 50 yard bomb across the middle between the hashes, a fingertip catch, just a masterclass as far as deep ball accuracy and putting pressure on that secondary. And you saw it affect the run game. You saw it affect the defense, even from an energy standpoint, uh, just watching your quarterback play at that level. So it's the best he's looked in this system by far. He had a career day. And I think doing that on the road in a hostile environment, I know this team has two losses already in conference play, but you have to feel great seeing your quarterback, your leader put on a showing like that on that stage, just moving forward this season and having to be able to kind of jump on his back and say, Hey, if he's going to keep playing like this, we're all going to ride with him. And we know that he's capable of this now in the system. It might be game over for the rest of the conference. I think with a quarterback of this caliber now playing this confident. Yeah, it feels like the uh, Sunbelt King maybe has uh, returned to his throne after this game uh, against App State. Certainly a big storyline to keep our eyes on the rest of the year. Kane, a big storyline coming out of App State after this game was Nate Noel's injury. He only had one rush for one yard in this game. App State had to lead a lot on Roberts, on Haywood, on Imani Marshall. How did losing Nate Noel early on impact App State in this contest? Oh, man, it's huge. I mean, you're talking about a guy who before this game, like it's been said a ton of times on the broadcast and a ton of times on this podcast, was leading the nation in rushing yards per game. And the fact that he had an ankle issue early in this game that resulted in him having one yard and one carry really hindered this offense. We talked coming into the matchup, how much could the running game help the quarterbacks? And it was night and day when you look at this one. I mean, App State wasn't able to run the ball as much as they wanted to when Nate wasn't in the lineup. They only ran the ball 26 times in this game compared to Coastal Carolina, who was able to run it 45 times, get almost 200 yards. This team barely eclipsed 100 yards on the day. And I think in the past, I've talked about some of the running back depth worrying me. And I think we kind of saw in this one, Kanye Roberts is a great emerging player who had some good touches. Mikel Haywood in the fold and Amani Marshall as well as a big back. But I think what Nate Noel brings as far as the pressure on a defense, the big play home run ability, we just haven't seen that from those other guys in the backfield yet. I love Amani Marshall and some of these guys on third and medium and some of those some early downs. But when you need a play, when you need a, someone to bust through the second level, get to the third level, score a touchdown for you on the ground, even be effective as a pass catcher, he's definitely the most effective pass catcher out of the backfield 
for this unit. I think it's a huge loss for this team. And if it's a loss for them moving forward, it's going to be very scary. And I think it got to the point where the best play for this offense became a jump ball to Donald, uh, Dalton Strowman because it was either going to result in him catching the ball or a pass interference that was going to move the chains. I really think he helped bring this offense back to life through that. And I think if that wouldn't have happened and we still didn't have Nate Noel, maybe this game isn't as close as we seem. So I definitely think it was a big deal and it will be a big deal moving forward if he isn't able to be back in that lineup for this offense. Yeah, Caden, speaking about Dalton Stroman, that touchdown catch he had down in the the home end zone was excellent. I think it uh, shocked a lot of us that were sitting up in the press box in this game. Caden, now that the dust has settled from this contest, I, I really am coming away. I came away with two major questions. First, does App State have enough to remain in this East title race? And then when you look at Coastal, can they get back in it now? Yeah, without Nate Noel, we'll start with App State. I'm definitely worried. I mean, this offense can do some special things, but they are a lot less dynamic without him. We saw that in this game throughout the duration of the game, and I think we would see potentially many more games look like this possibly for App State if they do not have Nate Noel. I think the defense has fallen off dramatically as well. Now now they're the fourth worst scoring defense in the conference, giving up 30 points a game right now. You're just not used to seeing that in the high country. And this is the second time now in conference play that the secondary has been picked on. We saw ULM kind of had this their way with the secondary. Clearly, Grayson McCall liked what he saw from the secondary and had his way as well. So I think this team has two weeks now to play Old Dominion and Southern Miss, teams that we both know are kind of in that bottom four of our power rankings. And then November starts when this team has to play some serious football and has a four-game gauntlet that kind of decides their championship future. So I think we'll learn out pretty we'll learn pretty quick as far as if this App State team still has that championship pedigree. But I think for Coastal Carolina, they are the only two lost team as far as conference records in the East, but you have to love what you saw from both sides of the ball from this team in this game. And given your quarterback seems like he has his mojo back and found it in the toughest of circumstances on the road, playing a career game in front of a hostile environment during the week on TV, your defense looks improved. I think the stock for this team is now on the rise. They definitely have to rely on some other teams and some other losses in the conference shaking out, but I think they don't control their own destiny, but if they can keep leaning into what they did in this game going forward and just put their head down and do the work they have to and let the other things play out, could very easily see this team back into the conference title race, I feel. Hey, Coastal Carolina, they go on the road. They'll face Arkansas State in a matchup of three and three Sunbelt teams this coming weekend. App State, Caden, uh, as you mentioned, travels to Old Dominion to face the three and three Monarchs who are coming off of a bye in front of a national television audience. So big opportunity for App State to rebound for Coastal Carolina to continue to roll. Moving on, Georgia State versus Marshall, Kate. And this one, another eye-brazing result this weekend. Georgia State winning 41-24 to over the Thundering Herd. And the Panthers now 5-1 and this season and off to their best start in program history. They never trailed in this game. They led 27-17 to at the half. They put up 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Carroll in that running back room ran for over 240 yards on the ground. Darren Granger broke the Georgia State record for total touchdowns in his career. Cato, both of our East picks right now, Coastal Carolina and Marshall, they've disappointed a little bit this year. Georgia State has been a complete surprise. They had a projected win total of five and a half in the preseason. We thought that they could be a bowl team, but... I don't think we thought that they would be, you know, at the top of the East after seven weeks. Caden, what's the ceiling right now for this Georgia State team? Yeah, no, I know we had some pretty high expectations and the potential to see this team possibly blossom and come into its own this season with some of the pieces they had. But now that we've seen this game, this team through six weeks, I think I can confidently say with my chest that this team could very well represent the East in the conference championship this year. It's real. 
If you take out the game against the reigning conference champions in Troy, and obviously James Madison in this conference and what they've done, no team has looked better in conference play, I think, given their competition than this Georgia State team when you look at their two matchups against Marshall now and going to Coastal Carolina on the road and putting on the performance they did. They're a different group this year. They have a different level of confidence, different level of swagger and energy. You see it before the game. You see it on the sideline with their coaches, their new strength coach, Coach Siriano. You see it all with their team that they just have a different expectation right now as far as winning and losing. They come into every game almost expecting like they're going to win now, and it just has resulted directly into fantastic play from this team in their last two conference games that we saw them perform at a high level at. So this team is be having a complete win in this one as well is a huge deal for me. Your offense plays fantastic, very effective, led by elite quarterback play in a run game. You have a special teams touchdown in this game from a block punt, 11 points from your kicker, which can go unnoticed sometimes, but he played a fantastic day. And your defense didn't have a masterpiece performance, but they were great on third and fourth down. They never let the Marshall offense get into rhythm. They forced a turnover. They made Rasheen Ali kind of beat them by himself. And they shut this team down in the fourth quarter in very timely fashion when the offense put up 14 points to kind of swing the end of this game and run with it. So I think that has all the makings of a championship level team. They've shown it against good competition this year. And I think everyone cuts on the film now when they're going to play Georgia State has a little bit more fear than they used to. I definitely think they have those championship aspirations this year. Yeah, it certainly feels like all the offseason work that uh, that coaching staff has talked about them putting in is coming to fruition in these big moments. Caden, on Friday's episode, we spent a lot of time talking about the quarterback running back duos for both of these sides. And Granger and Carroll were the better pair on Saturday. Granger finishes with 296 yards of offense and three touchdowns, didn't throw an interception after throwing two costly ones versus Troy. Carroll had his fourth 100 plus yard game of the year. Ollie and Fancher were good, but not to the level of Granger and Carroll in this one. Caden, there's some great duos in this conference. You think of Bradley and Webb at South Alabama, Finley and Mahdi at Texas State, Aguilar and Noel at App State. Is this the most effective duo in the conference right now? I think right now you have to say that they are, and it just has to do with how much is on their plate. We mentioned that all but about 20 or 30, just a handful of this team's yards in general come from other players other than these two guys. And I think it truly showed in this game coming off of bye week like I thought that would be super dangerous as this squad was super fresh and had their two best players playing their best ball and effectively winning this game against kind of their opposition as a quarterback running back duo. You mentioned Granger. I mean, I've been saying it all season. This kid has looked like a completely different player since I played him at least last at App State. I'm glad I haven't had to play this version of him because he's picking apart defenses at this point. I mean, he's staying in the pocket. He's operating. He's making great decisions. He's not turning the ball over. And he seemed to have a liking for all of his targets. We know Robert Lewis was kind of the headliner after some huge games and monster games at the start of the season. But Talik Williams has his monster game this year with 129 yards and a touchdown. He's feeding everybody. They're feeding Marcus Carroll a heavy diet, and it's paying off. You talked about him getting 28 carries. That's only one away from what Rasheen Ali and Cam Fancher combined had in this game. So he took a lot on his plate, and he capitalized on it with 159 yards and a touchdown. So I think this duo alone, as far as you look at offensive success goes, their fingerprints, whenever this offense is good, are going to be all over every game they play. So I think they just have to take right now that top spot as far as the best running back and quarterback duo in the entire conference. Yeah, no denying the play of Granger and Carroll so far this year. I think that's a big reason why we're now talking about Georgia State being a, a true title contender in the Sun Belt. Caden, for Marshall, 123 points given up in their last three games. Marshall, they came into the season with four returning starters on defense, but they brought back the cornerstones. You bring back Porter, you bring back Abraham, you bring back Neal. And Caden, you and I, you know, it's well documented. We weren't overly concerned about this defense in the offseason, but now it feels like we might have a five-alarm fire on our hands 
And on top of it, Neil gets hurt in this game. His status for the Thursday night game certainly in doubt now. Should Marshall fans be panicking about the play of their defense right now? I think after three straight weeks of poor defensive performances, giving up 40 plus points, which now represents half the season of what this team's work has been, you absolutely have to panic now. And that's before even hearing about the Eli Neal injury. Now you have to double that worry. Maybe I'm not going to say the panics at a nine or 10, but it definitely has to be at an eight, especially maybe a nine or 10, looking at the rest of this team's opponents and the offenses they have to face, as well as just them coming off a short week here. As I mentioned before, this is a team that had the big play killing them before the last couple of weeks. But in this game, I mean, Georgia State was able to have their way whichever way they wanted. Talik Williams, as we mentioned, had that long touchdown score in this game. So they did give up one of those big plays. But on a down-to-down basis, this is the worst this defense has looked this season. And I think a credit of that goes to what Georgia State was able to do with their quarterback and running back duo that's super effective. But I think when you look at this team and their defense, they've just taken a huge step back the last three weeks. Every offense they've played has been able to generate big plays and have their way. The tackling hasn't been there. This game, they just had two sacks and four TFLs. They weren't really playing that brand of football up front for the first time this season where they're playing that physical style and kind of imposing their will on teams. So moving forward, I am concerned about this defense. I mean, you look at this team, they have to face James Madison next week, which we know just came off of an amazing best offensive performance probably of the season. Coastal Carolina team, which we know their quarterback just came off of one of the most impressive games that we've seen this entire season. Then you have to go to App State, you have to play Georgia Southern, you have to play South Alabama. Those are all top half offenses in this league. This defense has already shown versus a team like Old Dominion that they can do it against a team that's not necessarily a top half offense. Definitely concerned about this unit moving forward, just given the sample size that we have now. It doesn't look like it's a fluke now. They've played just as much bad defense as good defense this year. And I think Marshall fans should definitely start to worry a little bit because we know their formula is running the ball on offense, methodically low scoring style of play. But if your defense is going to give up 40 points a game, your offense cannot do that. And we don't know if Cam Fancher is now at the point to where he can carry that offensive load. He had 300 yards in this game, only one touchdown though. So I am worried as a whole because of the effect this defense could have on the rest of this team and the offense and their further success moving forward throughout the season. Yeah, it feels like the margin for error right now for for Marshall, not that great with the struggles of the defense. Marshall, as you mentioned, Caden, they will welcome undefeated James Madison uh, to Huntington, West Virginia on Thursday evening. That game will be on ESPN. Georgia State's going to head to Lafayette for a cross-divisional clash against Louisiana, who's sitting at 4-2 coming off their bye week. Uh, Georgia State will look to clinch their fourth bowl game in the last five seasons with a win on Saturday. Moving on, Caden, Troy Army. Troy wins this one 19-0. They handed Army their first home shutout in 20 years. They led 16-0 at the half. And the impressive thing was they limited Army's offense to just 255 yards in this game. It was actually the sixth opponent in seven games this year that Troy has held under 300 total yards. Troy improves to 16-2 since that Week three loss to App State during that 2022 season. Caden, when you look at this game, this was a heck of a game plan from Coach Summerall in this staff. We saw them lean heavily into that run attack. They finished with, with 222 yards on the ground. Vidal had his fourth 100-plus yard game this year, and it helped keep Army off the field. I think that was a major key. Then you look at this defense. It was so disciplined. You forced four fumbles. You had an interception. They had two total turnovers in this game. Kane, this wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. Yeah, we're going to get a little high-level football nerd stuff here because this might just look like a normal 19-0 to game against a triple option attack, but I think this was just an absolute masterclass performance by Coach Summerall. He talked to us in the past in the offseason about every game they have a different style of a winning. We saw that big in their championship run with every opponent they played. They had to play a little bit different just to kind of 
adjust to what the other team was doing, do what they did best and lean into their talents. A lot of that was their defense last year. A lot of that was their run game to end the season. But I think when you look at this specific game, Army runs the ball 51 times. What, is they, what, what does Troy say? All right, cool. We're going to run the ball 39 times in this game and we're going to beat you in your own game, which is very hard to do against an offense and a style of team like this. They're going to beat you in the time of possession. It's unheard of if you're a Troy team, any team playing a triple option attack and winning the time of possession and beating them in their own game. That gave their defensive breathers to, to now where they get on the field, they can hold Army to two for 13 on third down and one for five on fourth down. A huge shutout, a huge shout out to the coaching staff for put, putting down a bulletproof game plan for this team and their players for executing on the defensive side of the ball perfectly. You mentioned the turnovers they created. Gunnar Watson only throws the ball 21 times in this game. That's tied for his least lowest number in the season, which was just last week against Arkansas State. He had just 10 completions in this game and Army had nine completions. So they literally said, Army, we are going to beat you in your own game. They did it effectively. They're like, we have Kamani Vidal. We can run the ball just as effectively as you do. And as a result, you get a nasty 19-0 win that I think has Troy written all over it. I think it's a coaching masterpiece, and you have to give credit to Coach Summerall. I think that's championship-level stuff, and that's why we still have him up in the power rankings no matter how anyone feels. I think that DNA, that culture, and that coaching staff just has these players focused and playing games like this that I don't know if any every team in the conference necessarily is capable of doing. Kato, and I don't know about you, but uh, heading into the bye week, it sounds like this might be a great time for uh, Brent Jones, the athletic director, to uh, back the Brinks truck up because you got to get John Summerall locked in for a while at Troy. Kane, we're seven games into Troy's season. Uh, we've seen growth on offense. The defense is still performing at a high clip. Uh, they've still got some areas to clean up, though, right now. What are the most glaring weaknesses for you when it comes to this Troy team as we look ahead? Yeah, I think first and foremost is just their play on third down. They haven't been quite as effective as they'd want to be probably on third down as an offense. They just haven't really set themselves up. Sometimes they get a little stagnant in their run game, giving the ball to Kamani a ton, and it kind of puts them back in the chain. So I think they could do a better job of maybe getting to some third and medium, third and manageable downs. We talked about them getting more pressure on the quarterback with some sacks, getting home on that. And they've really been racking up some penalties, which has been surprising. I think they had nine in this game and eight the game prior, which is just kind of rare for a disciplined team that we have right here. But I think my biggest question mark for this team is just kind of their adaptability moving forward. We talked about the amazing game plan they had in this game, but just curious now with a more kind of up-tempo or just a better throwing game and a, a better passing game for their style of offense. I'm just curious to see how they can improve and Will they still kind of have that chameleon quality that they had last year where they can adjust and kind of adapt and be very malleable game plan to game plan? Or will they have to kind of impose their own will on different teams? We know that they're not going to be able to play this Army team the same way they're going to have to play Texas State next week or where they play South Alabama coming in the future, Louisiana coming in the future, or what they have going on over there. So I'm just very curious to see if this season, do they still do that? Do they still kind of change their style depending on the team they play? Do they impose their different style on some of these different teams in the conference? It's not really a worry, but it's just something I'm really excited to see because we know their championship run last year just leaned on certain adaptability and certain things they had with their defensive personnel. They have a different team this year. It seems like they're just as good at adapting. Will they be able to do that in conference play against some of these teams on the West that have tons of different styles, tons of different players, and tons of different personnel to worry about hey one of those teams Caden that they will face this week Troy has their bye week but they're going to begin preparations for that matchup against Texas State in week nine in San Marcos I think that one's one that we've had circled on our calendars for a while uh, certainly will be fascinating last matchup Caden we're going to talk about that Texas State team uh, they squeak by they win 21 to 20 over ULM if you think back to Friday's episode, we were saying that they were about to do what South Alabama did to ULM, and certainly this game didn't play out that way. 
Texas State recorded their fifth win for the first time since 2014. They were 7-5 and five that year. They led 9-7 to seven at the half. They got three first-half field goals for Mason Shipley. They trailed, though, 20-9 to nine with 8.57 to go in this game. But Joey Hobart uh, had two receiving touchdowns to cap off 13-11 and 11 play drives, including the 22-yard game winner with 41 seconds left. Caden, they avenged a 31-30 loss in Monroe last year. Texas State, Caden, what's so interesting is that they continue to prove that they can win in multiple different ways. They've started fast the last couple of weeks. This week, it was not easy for them. What does it say about this team to be able to come away with the win on Saturday? It says that they're must-watch TV, that's for sure. I mean, I know every single Texas State game, just given their style of offense, what they're able to do, how they play aggressively, and how now you just don't know what you're going to get from a game-to-game basis makes them one of the most exciting teams. I think you have to give a shout-out to the electric environment we saw in their stadium before the game. I know I saw some footage, and I've never seen Texas State look like that in San Marcos. It was a fantastic vibe. They have two more home games, so just super excited for their program right now. But I think particularly on offense, when you look at the start of this team, it was slow. And I think they had some of a hangover from that second half performance we saw the prior week against Louisiana. I think this team might've got more used to playing on the road than at home. And you just saw some uncharacteristic stuff in the first half of games. We saw multiple three and outs from this offense. We saw more punts than I think anyone could imagine seeing from this offense and nothing but field goals in the first half, not even reaching the end zone. But TJ Finley threw that pick six, like you mentioned, with around nine minutes left in the game that gave this team a 20-9 to lead as far as the Warhawks being ahead. And then back-to-back touchdown drives for this offense and back-to-back shutout drives for this defense to steal the game late just always reminds you why you still have this team kind of regarded in your head as very high. You know your eyes don't deceive you when you see some of the things and the amazing plays they're capable of. And I think we just saw it in the last nine minutes of a game and not in the beginning of the game. So as a fan, it's obviously super exciting when you see your team rise to the occasion in a moment like that after playing possum all night definitely not fun to watch them get off to a slow start. But I think now we've seen this team come from behind. We've seen them get off to hot starts. We've seen them own the middle eight of games, particularly in the first four minutes of the the first four minutes of the second half, last four minutes of the first half. So I think this team has shown some of those traits. You're wondering when they're going to slip up and they can get maybe caught up in like they did against Louisiana. And particularly in this game, you thought that it was going to be over for them, but they keep rising to the occasion. They keep being one of the most fun and explosive teams to watch in the conference. And I think they just keep living up to what coach Kenny has set as a standard from that first week when they played Baylor. Caden, before we you know move on from this matchup, let's give a lot of credit to ULM. They don't get talked about a ton on this podcast, but they led by 11 late in this game. They've shown the ability to compete this year. You think back App State two weeks ago in this matchup, uh, and this was just a great bounce back performance from them after getting you know dominated by South Alabama. Caden, this is a ULM team that continues to prove that they're not going to be an easy game week in and week out. No, you have to give a shout out to them. I mean, we talked about all those three and outs and all those punts they had. They shut this Texas State team down in a way I haven't seen before, even compared to the second half of this Louisiana game where they forced some turnovers, did some great things. This team really lined up and say, hey, these first three downs you're going to run, we're not going to let you get anything on this. And they had this team punting more than you've ever seen. So you have to give a shout out to Max Harris, who was all over the field for this ULM defense. Carolyn Biggers, one of my favorite players in the conference as well, who's kind of that hybrid defensive back role playing cornerback for this team is fantastic for them and I think you have a guy in Jaya Wright who's a fighter a competitor he's mobile he can give your defense headaches every now and then and I think he has this offense kind of competing at a high level in a hostile environment kind of week in and week out so I have to give a shout out to Monroe for sure they've shown a lot of fight this year especially in the App State game 
especially against Texas State. And if I was the Georgia Southerns of the world, the Arkansas State's, the Southern Miss, the next three games and the next couple of games they have, I hope their coaching staffs are telling them not to take this team lightly because they will push you all four quarters. They have some talent over there. And I think they're playing some of their best football, truly, that we've seen in the last couple of years. So shout out to the Warhawks. We know we don't talk about them a ton, but they played some great football, particularly in the last three weeks for sure. ULM heads to Statesboro, Georgia, where they'll face a 4-2 Georgia Southern team that's coming off of a 41-13 loss to James Madison in Week 7. Texas State, Caden, they're going into their bye week as they prepare to host West Division frontrunner Troy in San Marcos next Saturday. Caden, big weekend of Sunbelt football. Time for a closing thought from you. Got another week of great action. No, I said it at the top and I'll say it again. I just can't get tired of watching this conference just from all the talent we have. You just talked about the Texas State game. Joey Hobart's not a guy we talk about a ton on this podcast. And he's quietly one of the three best receivers, I think, in the conference right now. We're loaded with quarterback talent. We've seen defenses play great games and get exposed by some great offense as well. I think this just is another weekend that proves that, hey, you just cut the TV on, you're going to see some great ball, you're going to see some great players, and I think it just makes it more exciting to watch these conference championship races shake out. Very excited to watch more of these future matchups and just wondering how these teams and their styles are going to stack up against each other. So I think it's arguably the golden age of Sunbelt football right now. I love what I'm seeing and just can't wait to watch more ball for sure. Well, that will do it for our Week 7 recap on the Freire and Smith podcast. We are past the halfway point of the Sunbelt season and the league's title races are getting hotter. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We'll be releasing our second Midweek Mania episode tomorrow morning featuring Tuesday's matchup between South Alabama and Southern Miss. Caden and I will break down the matchup. We'll tell you the must-know storylines ahead of that game. Make sure you join us for this special episode. You won't want to miss it. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing for us. Share this podcast with one, maybe two, or even three friends Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. That's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.